you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hello, everybody. This is Susan Rosen, your host on the podcast. And today I have a very interesting guest. And he, his name is Glenn Livingston. He has a, a PhD in psychology, I assume. Um, Clinical and, psych. Yep. <clears throat> and was a veteran psychologist, a longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm, which we may or may not talk about. Um, and he has had a lot of his work and theories and research appear in major periodicals like the New York Times, LA Times, Chicago Sun-Times. They all have times, huh? Um, and you also may have heard him being interviewed on ABC or WGN. Is that the Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's a long time ago. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, CBS radio. Okay. And disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and or food obsessed individuals. Um, and I don't think they're the only people who have not been treated well through psychology, but we won't go down that on that road. And if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's see. So where am I? Okay. He spent several, he's several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. And most important, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. All true. And I, yeah, and I have no doubt that there are a lot of people who would, are going to be very interested in learning more about that. See what we can do. So, yes, exactly. It's great. it's great to be here. Thank you, Susan. Oh, thank you for being here. So tell, tell me a little bit more just a, about um, how you made this transition. You know, and and it it obviously your your intro talks about some of the pieces of it, but maybe go into a little bit more depth and and you know where you hit that yeah, the wall sure. right that where you said okay, no 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 more of this. <laughs> well, what's important for people to know is mm -hmm. that I'm I'm not just a doctor who works with overweight people. I I had a really serious problem myself. When I was about 17, I figured out that cause I, I'm 6'4". I'm actually crouching a little bit so that I fit underneath the... Um, uh -huh, okay. I, I'm 6'4", and I'm modestly muscular just without doing anything. I just have good genetics like that. And um, so if I worked out for a couple hours a day, I figured out when I was a teenager that I could eat whatever I wanted to. You know, a whole pizza or two, box of donuts or five, Um multiple chocolate bars, multiple lattes, didn't even call them that back then. And I didn't think it was a problem. Like Doug Graham says, it felt more like a superpower. Um, 
in retrospect, I was spending an awful lot of time eating. I was spending an awful lot of time in the bathroom and an awful lot of time sleeping. But it didn't bother me at the time because I was thin and healthy. Um, what happened was a few years later when I was married, let's say 22, 23 years old, I was commuting two hours a day in each direction to go to school and see patients. And then I'd come home and I was helping to run the business. And, you know, God forbid my ex-wife wanted to talk to me. Um, there just wasn't time to work out. It just wasn't there. Maybe a half hour a week, something like that. I always tried to prioritize it, but I just couldn't. And I was getting older. My metabolism was slowing down. But I felt like the food had a hold on me anyway. So I was eating the same way that I was five years before then. And I would be getting heavier. Um, and worse than that, I found it was difficult to concentrate in the way that I wanted to be present at work. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one in a family of 17 psychologists and psychotherapists and social workers. And yeah, everybody says, oh, you don't want to come to the family reunion or something breaks in the household. We all rush and ask it how it feels. And nobody, nobody knows how to fix it. Uh, everything was psychology. I used to invite my friends over, make them lie down on the couch and tell me about their mothers. Um, so, but, but psychology was always really important to me. And as I got older and I was working with real patients, I recognized that you had to be very present to be a good psychologist. It's not so much an intellectual endeavor. Um, it's more like, how can I lend you my soul so that you love and trust me enough to share, you know, to take the risks out of your comfort zone and everything like that. And I wasn't totally present. And worse yet, I was working with some high-risk situations. I was working with suicidal teenagers. I was working with couples right after an affair was discovered. I, I was in some very I, – I never lost anybody out of 200 couples that I saw. I, only wow. two of them ever got divorced. But, but um, So I guess that was good anyway, but, but it really bothered me that I wasn't present. Like you don't want to be sitting with a suicidal kid thinking, when can I get pizza, Right. You really want to be there with right. them. When's he going to shut up, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, but it oh, was more, okay. like, more like when can I get pizza? Oh, okay. Um, and, and so that bothered me more than the weight. I, I would gain weight, but I, exerc- I, I, I am not exercising a lot. I'm still pretty tall. I could carry it really mm. well. People, mm. weren't, people weren't saying that I was fat. Um, my triglycerides were going up. At one point, they were over a thousand. When I was at my worst, when I was about two hundred eighty wow. pounds, um, you know, I had rosacea and eczema and um, psoriasis and early Hashimoto's disease. A lot of symptoms of inflammation in my body. My body didn't like what was happening, but it was very hard for me to to stop. Mm-hmm. And because I came from a family of psychologists, I I figured that um, there must be a hole in my heart. And let me take a psychological approach and try to, you know, fill that hole in my heart so I don't have to keep trying to fill the hole in my stomach. So I went to see the best psychologists and psychiatrists. I took medication. I went to Overuse Anonymous for several years, kind of went on a spiritual journey. And a lot of these things would help me a little bit. And then I actually get a little better and a lot worse, a little better and a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And nothing was a really permanent fix. I didn't seem to be addressing the problem. Well, along the way, there were three things that flipped the paradigm in my head. 
So instead of trying to love myself thin or nurture my inner wounded child, I realized that the solution was to be more of an alpha dog of my own mind. Like these, these thoughts that were causing me to break my own best plans mm-hmm. were like the challengers in a wolf pack. And, yeah. you know, when the challengers in a wolf pack challenge the alpha dog, he doesn't say, oh, my goodness, someone needs a hug. Right. He, he growls and he snarls and he says, get back in line or I'll kill you. Right. I, I'm the leader. And, and this is what we do with um, other biological urges like our, you know, the urge to urinate. If you're in the middle of a meeting and you really have to go, you don't necessarily excuse yourself. You tell your bladder you're going to take care of it after the meeting. Or, you know, if there's an attractive person on the street, you don't run out and, and you know, kiss them, right. uh, dis- despite what your biologic, bi- biology mm-hmm. might be producing a craving to do. So it's got to be just the same. But the other two things that really struck me were that um, I, I, I had a dual career. I was also doing consulting for big food and big pharma, essentially. Uh-huh. And I saw that what these companies were doing was engineering these hyperpalatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins and salt. And it was all designed, and they had you know millions, if not billions of dollars to pay rocket scientists to do this. It was all designed to hit the bliss point in the reptilian brain Mm-hmm. without giving you enough nutrition to feel satisfied. Mm. And the result of that is addiction. Right. It had nothing to do with whether I didn't love myself enough or my mom didn't love me or, you know, I was in a bad marriage. It had nothing yeah. to do with that. It was a very yeah. powerful external force. And, and the advertising money to try and push it as well. And then the advertising yeah. industry, they have the money to shout their message loud, yeah. but they also have rocket scientists to make you believe that this is where the good stuff is. So, so they're pushing your evolutionary buttons also. Yeah. Um, for example, I remember this food bar manufacturer that I was working with. And the VP pulled me aside as he was leaving the company. He said, I'm a little ashamed about what our most profitable insight was, but I want to tell you. He said, I, I was, um, we, we discovered that the vitamins were very expensive to put into the bars. So we took the vitamins out of the bars and we put the money into the packaging instead. We made the packaging look multicolored and diverse um, because in nature, right? Uh He didn't say this exactly, but in nature, if you eat the rainbow, a diversity of um, multicolored vegetables like, you know, fruits, uh, blueberries, red cherries, you know, yellow carrots, green lettuce, it, it represents a diversity of micronutrients that are available. That's why we say eat the rainbow. Yeah. That's an evolutionary button. That's probably where our appreciation of karma comes from in the first place. Um, and they're pushing those evolutionary buttons to say, this is where the good stuff is. This is where those micronutrients are. Mm-hmm. But, oh, by the way, we're going to take them out because they're too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to blame just the food companies because mm-hmm. this goes on just the um, – food bar company goes on across the industry. There's all kinds of crazy tricks that they're playing. And, and, you know, we're we're at the point in our life where there's so much power in the types of foods that are engineered and the types of advertising that's engineered. And you walk out of a McDonald's and there's a Burger King across the street. Um, We're living in a culture where all of these things are impinging upon our reptilian brain. What that does is it activates our survival drive. It activates the part of the reptilian brain that says, um, 
I need this to live. Mm -hmm. I need this. So it overruns our rational thinking or better judgment. Now, here's the last thing that really, well, two, I'm sorry, maybe it's five things that cause me to change. Um, The part of the brain that responds to food addiction is this survival primitive, you know, brainstem. And it doesn't know love. It's it's more of like a lizard brain, a reptilian Mm -hmm, brain. mm -hmm. And when it looks at something in the environment, it says, do I eat it? Mm -hmm. Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. It's like a bad college drinking game. Right. And then it's the where that came from. Yes. (laughs) I guess. I guess. So then the mammalian brain either revolved on top of that or God put it Mm -hmm. there, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, The the mammalian brain says before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact does that have on the people that you love? Right. Mm -hmm. And then the neocortex says, what about your long-term goals? What about the kind of person you're trying to be in society? And, and then the neocortex and the mammalian brain do have some ability to inhibit this Mm -hmm. action, but you have to be Mm -hmm. awake enough to recognize when it's happening. The final thing I did was that 40,000 person study. So I was being paid a lot of money to do these studies. I, I, I didn't, um, I worked at home. I didn't commute. I didn't have children because my ex-wife traveled for business. I had a lot of time in my hands. That's how I did all these things. And I've got a hungry mind. My, my mind always uh-huh. wants to know something. Yeah. Um, so I did this study and I intercepted people when internet clicks were cheap in like 1998, 1999. Mm. It, it ran for several years. Got 40,000 people to tell me what they were searching for when they were searching for solutions to stress. Mm-hmm. And I asked them also what foods they have trouble stopping eating once mm-hmm. they started if they were stressed. Right. And I found some interesting correlations. People who struggled with chocolate, and all of my binges started with chocolate, mm-hmm. tended to be a little lonely or brokenhearted or depressed. Huh. People who struggled with soft, chewy, starchy things, they tended to be more stressed at home. People who struggled with crunchy, salty things like pretzels and chips, they tended to be stressed at work. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So I called my mom before I was going to talk about it or work with patients or anything. I I Uh called my mom and I said, hey, mom, this is probably when I was about... 40 something, 43, 44. I'm 57 okay. now. Yeah. I said, Mom, why, why, why would that pattern get set up? She's the therapist also, and she's also a chocoholic. And I said, I found this interesting thing about chocolate, and it's, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not really happy in the marriage and some problems. And why would this be the case? Mm-hmm. And she said, Honey, I'm so sorry. And she gets this awful look on her face. And I said, Mom, it's okay. It's 40 years ago. I love you. I just, want to figure out what happened, whatever uh-huh. it is, it's all forgiven. Let's just explore this together. Uh-huh. She says, I'm so sorry, honey. But when, when you were one year old in 1965, your father was a, um, he was a captain in the army and they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And I was terrified because we we're trying to get pregnant with your sister. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'm going to be an army widow with two small kids. And I was just terrified at the same time, your grandfather, my father, had just gotten out of prison and I had idolized this guy my whole life and I didn't know he was doing these things and he was guilty and I was devastated. So mom says to me, so when you would come running up to me for a hug or to play or even for some healthy food, I didn't always have the wherewithal to give it to you because I was sitting and staring at the wall feeling anxious and depressed. So I kept a 
little refrigerator on the floor with a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup. I'm dating myself with that brand. Yeah. And, and you would go running over. I said, go get your Bosco. You go running over to the refrigerator. You take out the bottle. You, you know, kind of chug a lug it. And you go into a chocolate chip coma. And I didn't have to worry about you. Oh, no. And so, Susan, if this were a movie, that would have been the moment, right? Then we'd have yeah. a big hug and a big cry. And I would never have trouble with chocolate again. Well, it was a good conversation to have. We certainly could forgive each other. I, it led me to ask her other questions about that time in her life. I learned a lot about her. Um, I learned a lot about myself. I stopped hating myself as much, but it didn't change the behavior. As a matter of fact, my chocolate eating got worse. And it got worse because it was like there was this little voice of justification in my head. And it went something like, you know what, Glenn? You're right. Our mama didn't love us enough. And she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in our heart. And until we can get out of this marriage and find the love of our life, we're going to have to keep on binging on chocolate. Yippee, let's go get some right now. And that there really flipped the paradigm for me because I said, if emotions are a fire, you, you don't necessarily have to put the fire out to prevent it from burning down the house. You just need a good fireplace. A, a roaring fire in a well-contained fireplace um, is an asset, not a liability. It becomes the center of hearth and home. Mm -hmm. People gather around, they tell stories, they mm -hmm. laugh, they cry, they make memories. Mm -hmm. It's only if there's a hole in the fireplace that the ashes can get out and burn down the house. And I said, maybe this crazy voice of justification is poking holes in my fireplace. And maybe rather than trying to put out the fire or figuring out what started it in the first place, uh -huh. maybe I just have to fix the holes in the fireplace. Uh -huh. So... I did something a little crazy and mm -hmm. I was not going to be teaching about this. This was really very private because I was still struggling with my weight myself. I said, um, what if I consider my reptilian brain? I was a little embarrassed here. I, I, I'm, um, I'm a sophisticated psychologist and you've heard my credentials, but this is how I got better. So what if my reptilian brain is really nothing more than my inner pig? And what if I, draw a line in the sand that designates healthy versus unhealthy behavior. Something simple like, I will never have chocolate on a weekday again, only on Saturday and Sunday. Well, if I'm in a Starbucks on a Wednesday and I hear a little voice in my head that says, you know what, Glenn, you worked out hard enough. You're not going to gain any weight. I don't care that it's a Wednesday. You can have a little chocolate. Yippee, it'll be just as easy to start tomorrow. Let's go get some. Well, that voice, I would say, that's not me. That's my pig squealing for pig slop. Chocolate on a Wednesday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, mm -hmm. as crude as that sounds. It works. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would wake me up at the moment of impulse and give me those extra microseconds to make the right choice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would and sometimes I wouldn't. But I no longer felt like I was asleep. I no longer felt like it was this automatic, mysterious process. And I gradually experimented with different rules and figured out how to wake up a little better and calm down at the moment of impulse or remember why I made the rules in the first place. And over the course of a couple of years, I kept, um, I kept a journal mm -hmm. that looked at all the crazy things the pig was saying. For example... It's not just as easy to start tomorrow. The pig says it's just as easy to start tomorrow. But the way the brain works, if you have a craving for chocolate today and you eat chocolate today, 
the connection between the craving and the chocolate is going to be stronger. You're going to have a stronger craving for chocolate tomorrow. It's going to be harder to resist. Mm -hmm. So you always need to use the present moment to be healthy. There's no such thing as starting tomorrow. So I I kept the journal for eight years about all the things my pig said. And I got better. I I got thinner. My triglycerides Mm -hmm. came down. All my, most of my um, physical problems resolved. And, and, um, and, and, and as I was getting divorced, in 2015, I was part of a minor publishing company as part of all my business dealings. And the CEO said to me, Glenn, we need to write a book so we can do some marketing experiments and prove to other authors how good we are. We want to attract better authors. And I said, okay, well, I've got this really crazy journal that I wrote for eight years. He says, perfect, turn it into a book. So I turned it into a book and I sent it to him. It took me three months, something like that. I sent it to him. And two weeks later, he calls me back and he says, Glenn, I don't eat donuts. Donuts are pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And he proceeds to lose almost 100 pounds. Wow. We, we published the book uh-huh. along, the, along the way. And um, now we have over a million readers, worldwide distribution. Mm-hmm. I've written six more books. And mm-hmm. people don't quite know my name, but they recognize me in a bookstore sometimes. And they just point at oh. me and they go, pig guy. Pig guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't get insulted by it, right? I don't. It's, it's, it's not my favorite thing to have happen on a first date, but it's, um, it, it's okay. <laughs> well, it's a positive. So that, that, that's my story. Yeah. yeah. That's, my that's story. your story and you're, you're sticking to it, right? I'm sticking to it, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, um, that's quite an incredible journey. Thanks. Yeah. It's been no, quite a really, ride. Yeah. Um, having been a fat kid, I... I totally understand how difficult it is to let go of that. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. 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 I I tell you my, my minute and a half story of how I turned it around, which is just that I was very lucky. I was in graduate school and I went to the, to the, you know, the, the campus hospital and um, talked to my doctor and she said, you know, if you don't go on a diet and start watching what you're doing, she said, you're going to be fighting this the rest of your life. So get started now. Mm-hmm. And I did, I lost about 25, 30 pounds mm-hmm. and never, never put it back on again. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 So you, you, you can turn it around even in your fifties and sixties or seventies. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of our clients actually come to us in that Oh, of in course. that time frame, yeah, yeah. Oh no, ab- ab- absolutely. I think I, I, for me, I was just lucky that I ran into her <laughs> at that time. Yeah, right. Otherwise, I, I, I would have had to do it later on. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. and so, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. You know, and I, and I think just understanding that helps you to help other people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like so, anything. They can look at you and say, hey, he did it. I so can si- do it. So since that point, we've discovered that there are, um, there are ways to get yourself out of the reptilian brain at mm-hmm. the moment of impulse. You need something a little aggressive, like I don't need pigs up, I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. You don't have to call it a pig. You can call it your um, 
inner junkyard dog or your food monster or whatever you want to. Yeah. Just don't think of it as a cute pet because it's counterproductive. Um, but we've discovered that, for example, once you recognize that the reptilian brain is active, if you take what Laurie Hammond calls a 7-Eleven breath, mm. which means you breathe in for a count of seven and out for a count of 11. I'm not doing it right now because it takes some time. Yeah. Um, you take a couple of breaths like that. What you're telling your brain is that there's no emergency here. See, there's a reason that we say things like just hand over the chocolate or nobody gets hurt. It really does feel like a matter of survival uh, because your feast and famine system is is activated and your brain is saying, we need calories, we need calories, we need calories. Mm. Um, But if you take those 7-Eleven breaths in nature, if we were being chased by a hungry bear, it's unlikely we would have the time to breathe out for longer than we breathe it in. So we're telling the brain that this is a time when it's appropriate to rest and digest and mm. just kind of take it easy and think about things, yeah. right? Yeah. And if you carry around a pad and paper or a smartphone to write with, and you write down very specifically what your pig is saying, um, and you write it out in detail, mm-hmm. just the act of writing is more of an upper brain activity than a lower brain activity. Mm. And, and so it, it moves the battleground to the place where logic reigns supreme, not, not emotion. Okay. Um, and then you look very specifically at what is it saying and what's wrong with it. Like, um, you know, if it says just one bite won't hurt, well, historically, one bite usually has hurt, right? Uh, because it's usually never just one bite. No. Um, also, if you tell yourself, I'll just start again tomorrow, and then you eat some junk, you've actually reinforced that thought. So you're more likely to have the thought, I'll start again tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or another another skill people struggle with is, well, you've tried so many times and failed. You're doomed to fail. I'm going to get you eventually, so you might as well binge now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the problem with that is several fold. First of all, the research suggests that the difference between one of the big differences between people who lose weight and keep it off and those who yo-yo diet mm-hmm. are the number of attempts they have behind them. Successful people have more failed attempts behind them, not less. Oh. So the path to success appears to go through a multitude of failures. Uh-huh. So your pig is trying to make you feel weak, that there's something wrong with you because you've had more failures. But the truth is like George Harrison said, um, in, in while my guitar gently weeps he says yeah. with every mistake we must surely be learning we think that's the reason why successful people have more failures behind them now think about the way we learn to walk you've seen a child learn to walk yeah. they fall down a million times you don't say to them well, you've fallen down too many times you might right. as well just stay down right none of us would ever learn to walk no so, no, so it's just no. a natural proclivity to fall down and get up and fall down and get up you absolutely you get up until you stay up uh-huh. That's, oh, no, that's absolutely. How yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that applies not just to food. Right. That applies to everything in our lives. Absolutely. You know, and, and also the whole thing of taking a moment and pausing, you know, just being able to be present and notice that this is what you're thinking or this is what you're really want to do or whatever. And taking that pause, um, you know, whether it's, getting mad at somebody or it's um i don't know i mean there's just so many things that that applies to Mm -hmm. and i'm not sure that the pig analogy works 
outside of food, but, um, but, you know, why not, you know, whatever, whatever works for you to be able you can, to, you can to call it that. your inner sloth when you're trying to get yourself to exercise and yep. you can make a yep. rule to get yourself to exercise. Yeah. 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 Oh, and, exactly. And the, or don't yell at your kids or. Uh, I actually have a demonstration um, interview on my podcast. That's all about a woman who's got five kids and wanted to stop yelling at them. And, and that worked, that worked out for her just brilliantly. Yeah. 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 Oh no, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, and I, and I think part of it too, for all of it is that is that unless you do realize that you need to stay in the present, you're always thinking in the past. And so you're always thinking of when you failed or when it didn't work, you know, and, and all of these different things. Or or else you're allowing your pig to prognosticate about the future. Yes. But what yes. it's really doing, it's attacking you in the present moment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's thinking is eventually you're going to fail. So you might as well binge now, right? It's pretending like it has a time machine. It doesn't know what's going to happen in the future. It doesn't know if this is the time that you're going to get up and stay up or not. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't recognize that all there is, is now. The future mm-hmm. is an infinite string of nows. That's right. And if you stay in the present and exercise your now muscle because mm-hmm. now is the only time you can feed yourself and you always mm-hmm. use the present moment to be healthy. Mm-hmm. If you exercise your now muscle like that, that by the time the future arrives, your now muscle will be even stronger. Yes. And that, that's how you beat the, um, that's how you beat those kind of squills. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the other part of that as well, as well is that we always think that we're, that there's something damaged about us. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why we can't do whatever it happens to be. And and that's not true. You know, we that's all a, are just who we are and we're perfect just the way we are, if we would just acknowledge it and accept it. Well, that, that, I mean, that's actually a really good point. Um, mm-hmm. We're all wired to win this game. Remember, mm-hmm. reptilian brain, mammalian brain, neocortex. Yeah. These are superior. There's virtually no impulse that you can't inhibit with your best thinking mm. if you work at it. Um, the voice of self-castigation, you're pathetic, you're never going to get this, there's something wrong with you, you're damaged goods. It's important to recognize that that voice is your inner food monster, your inner pig, mm-hmm. because it wants you to feel too weak to resist the next binge. Yeah. Um, it's like you're pathetic things are awful you're never going to get this at least there's something good in life let's go get some chocolate yippee let's go do it right now there's just one good thing in life so when you that's a piercing insight when you realize that and it it becomes difficult to keep overeating if you refuse to yell at yourself like if there's one thing people took took away from this see, see if you can keep overeating if you refuse to yell at yourself it's much 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 harder and you'll recognize that that voice of self-castigation serves to fuel the overeating let's um just to really drive that point home uh-huh. let's look at the place of psychological pain guilt mm-hmm. and shame let's look at the actual adaptive place of that in our mm-hmm. in our psychologies in our psyches um it's kind of like the pain that we feel when we touch a hot stove mm-hmm. if you accidentally touch a hot stove you want to feel that pain for a second because if you don't 
you don't know where the stove is. You don't know how to avoid it in the future. There are disorders where children are born without the ability to feel pain and they don't live very long because mm-hmm. they don't know where the sharp edges are, right? Yeah, literally. So you, yeah. So you need that pain for a second. However, once you have, once it has your attention and you've analyzed the situation and you figured out um, how did I miss this? How am I going to avoid it in the future? That pain serves no function and it's worthwhile to let it go. Mm. What you don't want to do is say, oh my God, I'm a pathetic hot stove toucher. I might as well put my whole hand, hand down on the stove, right? Yeah. That's, that just kind of illustrates how obviously ridiculous it, it is. But people don't recognize that all that self-castigation afterwards is the same as saying, I might as well put my whole hand down on the stove. That's right. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So how do you break that cycle? One of it is realizing it. The second thing is teaching yourself to collect evidence of success. Mm. Most people, after they've made a mistake, will say, why can't I stop overeating? Why can't I stick to my freaking diet already? It's just been time after time after time. Well, what if part of the reason was that you were asking that question? What if the question in and of itself was a setup for a binge? Because the questions that we ask determine the evidence that our brain looks for to collect. The evidence our brain collects determines our identity. So when you say, why can't I stop binging? You're directing your brain to collect evidence that you can't stop binging. Mm-hmm. As it collects that evidence, you're going to develop a failure identity. So you have to use every bone in your body. Once you recognize what's going on, you have to use every bone in your body to collect evidence of success. Why was I able to stop after five cupcakes instead of 15? How did I do that? How can I learn from that going forward? I ate the whole pizza, but I didn't eat the box, right? (laughs) Right? Um, I had 10,000 calories, but I didn't have 20. I've had 20,000 before. How come? What can I I learn from that to move forward? Yeah, yeah. And you'll you'll be dramatically surprised at how effective changing those questions is in terms of starting mm. to activate the success, the success seeking mechanism in your brain, mm-hmm. develop an identity of success. Mm-hmm. So that's really critical. The last thing is to understand the appropriate use of perfectionism. So people mm-hmm. think that perfectionism is a bad thing um, all the time. It's not really a bad thing all the time, but there's a context in which you can use it. And there's a context in which it's very harmful. The context in which it's very harmful is after you've made a mistake, after you touch the hot stove, to let it say, well, if you're not perfect, then you're nothing. Therefore, you can't possibly win. Therefore, you should bench, right? So once you've made a mistake, you want to take a breath, forgive yourself with dignity, analyze what went wrong, make adjustments, and get and up and aim on. at the target again. Yeah. And move on. Yeah. Yeah. We, but when you're aiming at the target, you're aiming at the bullseye, uh-huh. uh, if you talk to Olympic archers, uh-huh. they are not sitting and thinking, maybe I'm going to hit it, maybe I won't, yeah. right? They're not thinking progress, not perfection at that point. Right. They, they are seeing that arrow go into the target. They're almost yeah. like one with the arrow and one with the target. They don't allow the energy of uh, doubt and uncertainty to drain them from concentrating on the goal. Mm. And, and so they actually commit with perfection. They use the energy of perfectionism in their favor to purge their mind of doubt and uncertainty. So all their energy goes into aiming at the target. Okay. That's, so, so you put it all together, you want to commit with perfection, mm-hmm. but forgive yourself with dignity. Commit with perfection, but forgive yourself with dignity. What most people do is the exact opposite. 
and they're thinking, well, I'll try the best I can not to have chocolate during the week, right? Mm-hmm. What that really means is I'll try for a little while until I don't feel like it anymore. Yeah, right? yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll have a day, right? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But if they say, I will never eat chocolate on a weekday again, mm-hmm. that's a character statement. That's saying, I've made a commitment to become the kind of person who never eats chocolate during the week. Mm-hmm. And when you make character character commitments and you link it to a big why, like, why do I want to become that kind of person? I, I want to become that kind of person because I want to be a tall, thin, you know, handsome leader who can walk in the world with integrity. I, mm-hmm. I made that commit, commitment because I want to be free of cardiovascular worries. Mm-hmm. I don't want to end up in a, you know, in a wheelchair like my grandmother or, you know, all, all those uh-huh. type of things. Yeah. When you, when you figure out the kind of person you're really trying to become and how this new rule integrates with that, mm-hmm. then it becomes part of your, um, the force of character driving us forward. And we are all naturally driven to become a certain kind of person. Yeah. Everybody has this ego ideal, this person that they've always wanted to be. And we're all trying to bridge the gap between where we are and what that ego ideal is. Mm-hmm. So you can tap into that energy by committing with perfection and forgiving yourself with dignity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's another piece of the system we figured out. It's, um, that, that most people are using perfectionism incorrectly because winners do commit with perfection. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we all know from the athletes as well, like you pointed out that the ones who are the most successful are the ones who see themselves succeeding mm-hmm. in their minds and even just feeling it physically. Right? And a, a, a mountaineer sees themselves victorious at the top of the mountain yes. with their hands up and they, right. Uh-huh. They uh-huh. don't have visions of themselves rolling down the mountain or getting stuck in a storm or something like that. No, no, yeah. no, no. Or someone who's running the 100 yard dash, right. They see being at the, at, you know, being the first one and setting a world record. I mean, you know, you got, you got to see the goal. You really got to yeah. see the goal. Yeah. 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 And well, and, and, and it's not just seeing it, right. It's putting that positive emotion with it mm-hmm. at the same time so it really like you say gets locked feeling in feeling it feeling it yes yeah. yes yeah. yes exactly because if you don't add the feeling our brains don't don't take it in our whole emotional system doesn't take it in and say oh yeah i can do that so would you like me to tell people how they can get started with something like yeah, this in an easy way yeah that would be great what we've discovered is that most people who are overeaters are also very good dieters and they have a history of losing weight and gaining weight, losing weight and gaining weight. Um, they keep themselves in a kind of feast and famine roller coaster, mm-hmm. right? And they never just regularly regulate their blood sugar and slowly mm-hmm. and consistently lose weight. Um, so the way their pig manifests this is to think of a diet, quote unquote diet, as a set of rules that are really way too strict. Um, And so the mentality of people in this feast and famine modality Mm -hmm. is like the old nursery rhyme. When she was good, she was very, very good. But when she was bad, she was horrid, right? And so you want to step out of the feast and famine cycle. You want to set the bar low um, to start with. You Mm -hmm. just want to take back your spirit. Mm-hmm. You want to prove to yourself that you can and will follow a simple rule. 
So I tell people, unless your doctor says it's urgent otherwise, don't worry about losing weight the first two weeks. The first two weeks, just take back your spirit with one rule that you could and would do that doesn't feel too onerous, but you know it would make a big difference. And everybody knows what that is for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you some examples. There is a mm-hmm. trucker who ate fast food all day long. And he said, I'm not going to give up fast food. I can't. You know, I'm on the road all the time. But I'll tell you what, I won't go back for seconds. And he proceeded to lose 150 pounds, not just with that rule. He eventually uh-huh. added more rules. Yeah. Yeah. But he had a little success. And he felt like, Okay, this thing inside me, this pig inside me, it's not stronger than me. I'm stronger than it. And he yeah. reclaimed his spirit. Yeah. Um, other simple rules might be, I always put my fork down between bites. Uh-huh. I always yeah. take a picture of my food before I eat it. Surprisingly, adds a moment of awareness that makes people make different decisions wow. without having to okay. give anything up. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe I will never eat after 8 p.m. again uh, okay. unless I'm socializing. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe I will only have pretzels at major, major league baseball games. The limit is your imagination, but come up with one simple rule uh-huh. that is not going to take a lot out of you, yeah. but, it, but it's going to restore your spirit. I, I want you to, I want you to transition from feeling despairing and hopeless and powerless and confused uh-huh. to feeling hopeful and enthusiastic and optimistic uh-huh. and confident that you uh-huh. can do this. That's the whole yeah. point of the first two weeks. Yeah. And then you probably won't gain weight if you do this right. Some people do gain a half a pound or something. Um, but once that's the case, then talk to a dietitian, talk to a nutritionist, talk to your doctor, or just do what you know you need to do yeah. to start the weight coming off. But be wary of getting on the feast and famine roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Remember, um, in our evolution, there was probably a time when food was not very abundant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Many so we times, went, probably. Yeah. And so evolutionarily, we are set up to recognize when the harvest is here mm-hmm. or when the hunt is here, however you want to think about it. Mm-hmm. And if you tell your brain that we're back in olden times when there could be scarcity for long periods of time, you can't find calories in nutrition mm-hmm. or enough calories in nutrition. In other words, you're on a strict diet. Yeah then once your brain sees that the harvest is there, it's going to want to hoard it because you don't know when the next famine is going to come. So the way out of this is to flood your body with nutrition at a slight caloric deficit and Mm -hmm. lose weight maybe a pound or two per week, right? Mm -hmm. Stop stop with the crash diet, stop with the fasting. Um, There are medical benefits of fasting or intermittent fasting. I don't dispute that at all. But for the first six months, until you've corrected this mechanism in your brain that says oh my god we have to shove it all in um and and people feel like that people feel like someone's got a gun pointed in their temple and they're sitting at the refrigerator and they're saying you have to eat when they don't want to um until you can beat that then flood your body with nutrition at a slight caloric deficit and Mm -hmm. build one one discipline after the next Mm -hmm. the disciplines will make you feel freer and freer you'll feel stronger and stronger you're taking control and um that's how you win the game that's that's how we find that people win the game no that makes that makes perfect sense that makes perfect sense and you know as we were talking about earlier it it's it applies to more really than even just eating Mm um you know the same basic basic parenting financial management gambling Anything where you yeah. can define a very clear black and white line between healthy and unhealthy behavior. Yeah. Where, where it doesn't work is 
when you make a fuzzy line. You have to be careful because in our culture, we are taught to use guidelines rather than rules Mm -hmm. with food. Mm -hmm. For example, we say, well, you're having trouble with chocolate. You should just eat it 10% of the time and abstain 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. It's good advice in theory, but the problem with that is that you don't know which is the 10% and which is the 90%. And so you're constantly making decisions every time you're in front of a chocolate possibility. Mm -hmm. Willpower is the ability to make good decisions. Making decisions wears down your willpower. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to make 300 more food decisions over the course of, of the week, and there's a lot of research into just how many food decisions we have to make, which is mind-blowing, then you're you're not preserving your willpower for the important ones. Mm -hmm. You're just just beating up on your willpower, draining it all day long, Mm -hmm. um, and and you're going to have some trouble. So it's better to make a hard and fast rule. If if you want to avoid chocolate 90% of the time, better to say, I will only have chocolate on the last three days of the calendar month, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then 90% of the time, your chocolate decisions are made you might struggle on the last three days of the month and you might have to make a couple of more boundaries about that, but, but yeah, you're eliminating yeah. most of the decisions. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I would also think that, you know, it, it's easier than to look back and say, Oh, okay. You know, really, maybe I won't eat it one of those days as well, because I did it all in these other days. And well, know, you I have mean, that, that feeling of, of power that you can start to utilize. What happens is people feel so much better than they think they're going to feel. Yeah. And their their pig had told them that they were going to be tortured and it's really yeah. the first week or so is torture and then it's really not so bad. Yeah. And then your taste buds start to upregulate. Like when you have a chocolate bar every day, you lose the ability to taste the natural sugars in an apple or mm. the natural flavors in spices and mm-hmm. vegetables and, you know, natural mm-hmm. whole foods that, that mm-hmm. are actually good for you. Yeah. Um, and, and when you get rid of a lot of that junk, your nervous system upregulates and starts responding to those natural flavors again. Uh-huh. And so people are terrified they're not going to get any pleasure out of food, but the truth is you actually get more pleasure out of food when you, oh, when you do this. Yeah. 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 Aren't our bodies amazing? It's a miracle. It's yeah. really, and the older I get and the more I learn about psychology and neurology, the more, um, more amazed I am. Yeah. 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 And, and I think the other thing too, that, that, you know, you're saying and and i would totally agree with is that as you get older it really doesn't get harder but we all tell ourselves that it does it it actually gets now metabolism can slow down a little bit a little harder to lose weight yeah but with maturity we develop more impulse control and frustration tolerance as as a natural function of getting older Mm -hmm. Um, if we pay attention and allow it to happen So there are things we can do at 55 years old that we couldn't do when we were 35 years old. Yeah. And it's part of why they say youth is wasted on the young. Yes. If I knew then what I knew now. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. What else? I know. Oh, anyways. um, Yeah. It's, it's so funny for me. Okay. This is, this is just because of who I, who I am and my taste sensations mm-hmm. um you know that you keep talking about chocolate right and i've always disliked chocolate well, you're lucky even when i was fat mm-hmm. i didn't like chocolate sweets sweets was not sugar was not 
where I got the calories. It was the carbo yeah. carbohydrates and the breads and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Not, not that, not that it's any different. It's a different you kind know? of sugar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But it's, but it's so funny because everybody always talks about, Oh, desserts and ice cream and chocolate. And, and it's like, that was never what I went, what I went for. There, there are different types of people with that. Yeah. There are people that really, um, they go oh, for the yeah. chips and the greasy meats and there are people mm -hmm. that go for the pastas and pizzas and people that go for the sweets. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it is interesting. And so where in this whole process do you have, or do you not, not have like some sort of an education piece for the people who you're working with or, oh. you know, or, you know, as far as try to, to get to the point where you can say, okay, now let's start actually eating healthfully overall, rather than just stay away from the things that were your, you know, your kryptonite. Well, so one of the interesting things I've discovered about uh -huh. um, food addiction and overeating in general uh -huh. is that people are very resistant to being told how to eat. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think Margaret Mead said, if I haven't got the right author, she said it's easier to change a person's religion than it is to change their diet. Um, <laughs> and so, so our platform is totally diet agnostic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And people can people can do it whether they're you know whole foods plant based or um, you know keto or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know macrobiotic or point counting right. or calorie counting or vegan. Yeah. Um, we can help people in any kind type of a reasonable food plan. And usually, when people are really overeating, any type of a reasonable food plan is ten times better. Yeah. Um, over the course of the time, you know. So, I, I've written seven books and, you know, I, I've got, um, you know, we've got a thousand coaching clients a year and there's mm -hmm. a whole community that we're involved mm -hmm. with. And over the course of the time that people get immersed in that community, they start to understand that a big part of my recovery was moving towards more whole natural mm -hmm. foods. Uh -huh. So for example, I didn't just live with this Nazi policeman that says, don't eat chocolate. I started to experiment with what my body really needed at those times. And I found that it, it the craving would go away if I had a kale banana smoothie. That's what I eventually okay. came to. Uh -huh. And so I'm, we're always, I'm always asking, what's the authentic biological need? Is there an authentic psychological need behind it? Uh -huh. And so people start to gravitate towards that way of thinking. Yeah. If, if they lean towards a plant-based philosophy, if they've read the same literature that I've read, then... Mm -hmm then they kind of move towards, um, you know, a progressively more plant-based mm -hmm. diet. And mm -hmm. I can refer people to books and you know, yeah. things to read. I, I'm not a dietitian or a medical doctor, so I, right. I don't have the audacity to say that I really know for sure. No. Yeah. Know, I'm pretty confident that I know what people should be eating, but, but um, it's not my place. It's not, not my place to do that. Uh -huh. So half the people that work with us are low carb and I would never eat low carbohydrate myself, but it works fine for them. So Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I think different things work well for different people, you know, not to mention allergies. Um, you know, and, and that that's the other thing, too. I think that a lot of people overeat certain foods and they're and they turn out to be things that they're actually allergic to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is so, so, so if you don't know how to eat, then I tell them to consult with a dietitian or a nutritionist. Yeah. And, oh, and, I, and I can recommend people. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Do, do you know that people spend an average of four hundred and thirty-two dollars a month on overeating when they're serious overeaters, mm. which is like four thousand dollars a year. More. And yeah. and and so to spend one hundred and twenty-five dollars on a dietitian to get something that can nourish your body the right way yeah. so that you don't have the same intensity of cravings. It's, it's just kind of silly not to do that. Their, their pig will say you can't afford that, but I think they can't afford not to. Exactly. Exactly. No, I agree. I totally agree. So um, why don't you let people know where they can get a hold of you and you can give me whatever links you want. Yeah. I'll put them in the show notes for people so that they can they can find you. Thanks. Um, it's all through neverbingeagain.com. Okay. If you go to neverbingeagain.com, you'll get, and click on the big red button, then sign up for the reader bonus list. You'll get three things. The first thing you'll get is a copy of the main book in Kindle, okay. Nook, or PDF format. Okay. So all the digital formats are free. Um, if you want to buy the Audible version, you can. If you want to buy a paperwork version, you can. Mm-hmm. But all the digital versions are free. Um, so that, that's the main body of the work. That's the main idea. There's enough information in there for you to overcome this by yourself. You don't necessarily okay. need to have coach that's or anything. Good to know. Yeah. Two other things you'll get when you do that. One is a set of food plan starter templates. So we thought through sets of rules for people on various dietary philosophies. Mm-hmm. So there's one for keto. There's one for, um, you know, whole foods, plant-based people like me. There's one for point counting, calorie counting. So you kind of get to see how this works um, in practical, logical mm-hmm. steps. And the third thing, which might be the most important, is that I've recorded an awful lot of demonstration sessions. Because I know this sounds really strange, and the, the listener must be thinking, why does Susan have this doctor on who has a pig inside him? Um, it might sound like it's really harsh. It's not harsh. It's actually a very compassionate, life-giving, yeah. um, soul-enhancing process that takes uh-huh. people from feeling um perilous and despairing and mm, and confused yeah, to feeling yeah, yeah. empowered and hopeful and beating up on themselves yeah, yeah. Ne- never click on the big red button okay. and yes you will eventually figure out how to get to the um, coaching programs and other books from there if you really want to okay okay great but everything i just described is free fantastic fantastic and like i say i'll, I'll include it in the show notes as well so people can just click through and Thank you, Susan. This has been great. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's I think it's it's great information because I there aren't many people that I know of who haven't had at some level to go on a diet and watch what they're eating. Yeah, I mean we could look at the official incidence of eating disorders, but I think it's a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, maybe ninety nine point nine percent. Because how how can you eat well in today's society with big food and big advertising and big addiction treatment and and the these foods are so much more powerful than you think they are and the advertising advertising has more of an effect on people when they think it doesn't affect them. Everybody thinks advertising doesn't affect them, but it has more effect when you think it doesn't because your sales resistance is down and that's exactly where they want you. So anyway, go, go to neverbingeagain.com, click okay. the big red button. We'll, Great. We'll get you. Okay? Great. Yep. Thank you. You're, you're a very sweet interviewer. Thank you so hey, much. Thank you. 
This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit HealthyTipsAfter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.